So I want to talk to you today about facing life's calamities. Facing life's calamities. And uh, I just didn't know the word had so much to talk about, say about calamities, but in Psalm 57, 1, David said, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee, yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Until these calamities be overpassed. I looked in the World Book Dictionary to find out the definition of the word calamity, and it means a great misfortune, a disaster like an earthquake or a flood, serious trouble or misery. In Luke 6, verse 48, Jesus was talking about the wise man and the foolish man. He said the wise man did something that was very, very wise. When he got ready to build his house, he dug down until he found solid rock, and he built a house upon rock. And, he, and then it is an interesting thing how Jesus was very assumptive because he said, and when the flood came, not if the flood came, he is saying that if we're going to build our lives, build it upon the rock, Christ Jesus, because the flood will come. Sooner or later, floods will come. We've just been reading the paper this past week of the tremendous uh, rains that have taken place in Louisiana and Texas and Arkansas and uh, in some places uh, 13, 14, 15 inches of rain and, and homes being swept away and uh, uh, great tragedies, great calamities. And I thought to myself, I wonder how many of those houses were built upon a rock, how many of them had a good foundation so that when the flood came, it wasn't swept away. And that's why the Word of God says over and over again that we should be rooted and grounded and established in the Word of God because the flood is going to come. Turn with me to Exodus, the 15th chapter. Now you're going to find that over and over again the Word of God says the things written in the Old Testament are written for our admonition and for our enlightenment and instruction. We learn how God deals with people and how people should respond, how people do respond, how people can respond, and what the end result might be from their response. As we look at how God dealt with the nation of Israel, we will learn many lessons as to how God would deal with us. And in Exodus, the 15th chapter, beginning of the 22nd verse, Israel had already been brought out of Egypt, you remember, through the ten plagues, how God finally delivered them out of Egypt. Before they left, though, God gave them grace in the sight of the Egyptians, and the Egyptians feared them, and they gave them gold and silver and jewelry and all these wonderful uh, uh, treasures. And God's blessing was upon them, and they walked out of there heavily laden with many, many treasures because of God's blessing. God says, actually, it's just back pay that I'm giving to you now. You did all this work down through these years. They're just giving, paying you your back pay before you leave. They weren't stealing it. They had worked for it and weren't paid. They just collected what was back pay. They left and God led them out of Egypt with a pillar of fire and a cloud, cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and led them out to the edge of the, the sea. And uh, then it looked uh, like an impossible situation until God told Moses to put forth his rod. And when he did so, the sea opened up and they went through in glorious victory and turned around and watched the Egyptians come into the sea. And Moses stretched forth his hand and the sea closed itself over the Egyptians and they were destroyed. And they went into a glorious hallelujah dance. The women got their timbrels and they began to dance and sing praises to the Lord. I will sing unto the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. Real revival took place. But then we come to verse 22 in Exodus 15. 
So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness, and what happened? Found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah, or bitterness. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the water, waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. He tested them. There God tested them. He proved them with a calamity. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments, and all, keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water, threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. They came to a place of bitterness in their walk with God. Now, by the way, I want you to just go back and recognize something. Just as the Lord led them out of Egypt by the pillar of fire and the cloud by day, and led them to the edge of the sea, and for a moment it looked like tragedy when the Egyptians were coming and they didn't have a way out, God opened the sea, and the cloud and the pillar led them through the sea to the other side. It was the same cloud that led them to Marah. There is a truth here that we need to understand that in the progression of life, the flood will come even when we're walking in the center of God's will. Now I know it would be wonderful never to have calamities, but Jesus said, when the flood comes. David said, Lord, protect me until these calamities be overpassed. The Word of God says life is short and full of trouble. You see, the children of Israel didn't say, well, God, you want to go that way, but we're going to go this way and then walk into Marah. They were following the perfect will of God, and when they came to Marah, and the Word God says that they came there because He was testing them and proving them. And they began to murmur. What do we do sometimes when we come to that place of Mara, the bitterness? You say, well, I haven't been there yet. I've, you know, it's been pretty good. Well, when the flood comes, what will you do? Let me tell you one thing that you should do. Decide what you're going to do when you come to Mara before you get there. It's a lot easier. A lot of people, when they come to a place of Mara, God leads them there, allows them to be taken into a place of bitterness. They just kind of quit. They just say, what's the use? I mean, boy, if this is what you get for serving God, bless God. Why, why serve God? I mean, I'm no better off. I mean, look at these people living down the street. They don't even know God. They don't have anything to do with God. And I mean, they're healthy. They're well. They go on, bless God. And we become to be, begin to become very negative and very defeated. You just kind of give up. But you have to realize that when the Mara comes, it's God allowing us to be tested to see if we believe what we say we believe. Jesus said, be careful now when you say you're going to follow me because uh, uh, don't be like the man who said he's going to build a house and when he got halfway through he found out he didn't have enough money to finish it. He wasn't able to pay the price to finish it. Or the man who was going to go to war, he said, don't go to war until you've sat down and made sure you can pay the price. You can count, count the cost ahead of time. And that's what I want to encourage you to do when you make that commitment to Jesus Christ. Whenever you've made it, if you didn't make it sure enough, go back and reaffirm Lord, when I told you I'd follow you, I'll follow you to the Red Sea. I'll follow you through the Red Sea. I'll follow you to Mara. I'll follow you to any place you lead me, and I'll trust you through it until this calamity be overpassed. I talked to a man here recently, an elderly gentleman, came to my house. He had heard about Beverly's illness. 
And he proceeded to very carefully describe to me how a friend of his and he had been talking and how they had sat down and gone through the Scriptures and found out all the requirements in the Scriptures that would guarantee an answer to prayer. They wrote down all the requirements. They said we then proceeded to make sure we were fulfilling all the requirements for, answering, for getting an answer to prayer, and then we prayed, and nothing happened. So we've come to the position where we realize that it's nice to believe in God, but it's not necessarily so that God is alive because we don't see the evidence of it. We fulfilled everything that was supposed to have been done in the Scriptures, and then the prayer didn't get answered. And I said, well, let me tell you about my experiences. And I began to elucidate one experience after another down through the years, how God has been faithful, God has been faithful, God performed a miracle, God answered prayer. People would do this, and things would happen here. He went down, he said, well, he said, I can't argue with your experiences, but he said, it just didn't work for us, so maybe it's something that that uh, you can live with, but he said, I have come to a place where I've just kind of realized it's not, that this doesn't work. But he wanted to express his sympathy to me in Beverly's situation. And I said, we don't need sympathy, really. We just thank God that we're, our lives are in His hands and we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. We're not our own property. And when I gave myself to Him, I didn't give Him conditions as to what He had to do with me or for me for me to follow Him. I said, regardless... I am heading for the promised land, and it doesn't make any difference if there's a wilderness. It doesn't make any difference if there are scorpions. It doesn't make any difference if there are snakes. I'm going to follow you to the promised land. But many people, when they come to Mara, tend to just quit. They forget the joy of when they were first saved, what it was like when Christ made Himself real to them. They forget all about God's faithfulness in the past. And this is the first suggestion I'd give you if you want to face life's calamities. The first one is found in Psalm 103, verse 2. Forget not all His benefits. Forget not all His benefits. Whenever you come to a Mara experience, a bitterness experience, don't dwell on the bitterness experience. Go back and say, oh, but how faithful God has been to me down through the years and He will not change now. David came to that calamitous time when his men were ready to stone him and his family had been kidnapped. And he had only one thing to do. He had, to, Of course, he had a choice. He could have just said, ah, oh, forget it. But the Word of God says he encouraged himself in the Lord. How did he do that? Bless God, I remember back there, Lord, when I was just a shepherd. I remember how you helped me when I whipped that lion. And I remember how I tore that bar and bear to pieces. I remember, Lord, how you watched over me with the flock. I remember how you did. Lord, you know something? You have never, never failed, and you won't start now. Bless God, even in spite of this calamity, you're not going to fail me. Second thing many people do is when they come to a Mara experience is to become bitter themselves instead of seeking God's solution to sweeten the bitterness. They become resentful toward God or toward people. They get hard and cold and indifferent. The things of God, well, God must not love me. I mean, look what happened. You know, it can be anything. Sometimes it's just a, a little thing like a person loses their job and they get bitter. Get bitter toward God. Somebody, uh, and, and I, I just have to stop and realize, you know, that all down through the years of time, husbands have lost wives, wives have lost husbands, children have lost parents, parents have lost all their children. This is nothing new. The Word says there's a time to be born and a time to die. But many people fail to see this and they think God has some kind of a feeling toward me and against me and if that's the way He's going to be, well, He can just forget it. But the Word of God says don't do that. Forget not all His benefits. Realize how wonderful, how good He is to you, how faithful He is and learn through the experience the thing He wants us to see. 
and to understand. And of course, a lot of people who start the why me, why me syndrome, where they begin to have self-pity. I don't understand why God had me. I mean, look at these guys down the street living like hell's frozen over. I mean, why, dear God, why would you pick on me? And that self-pity begins to drive everybody away because they won't receive love anymore. God doesn't love me. God can't love me. Don't allow that to happen when calamity comes. When you face calamity, recognize that God loves you with an everlasting love. And even as they came to Mara, said he was testing them. God says, I love you and I want you to manifest your love back to me and trust me even in the times when you can't see my love. We forget that Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. Paul said, what shall separate us from the love of God? So tribulation, distress, neither death nor life nor principality nor power nor any other creature nor things present, nor things to come. None of these things shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And many times we think, well, dear God, you've forsaken me now. You see, we have to renew our minds and quit saying what the flesh would say and say what the Word of God says. Lord, in the midst of Mara, in the midst of calamity, I know that you will not and you have not and you cannot because you're holy. You cannot forsake me and you have not forsaken me. Well, the Lord warns us about this, and we're reading here about, about the children of Israel. And I want you to look with me over in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. You say, well, that's Old Testament stuff. I mean, brother, let's get up New Testament. We're getting in New Testament, 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, through the sea, and, all were, and were all baptized into Moses, unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, and for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were, what? Overthrown in the wilderness. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 5. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now they weren't overthrown in the Red Sea. They weren't overthrown during the dancing and celebrating time of God delivering them out of Egypt. They were not overthrown when all the gold and silver and jewels were given to them. They didn't get overthrown then. They got overthrown when they came to the wilderness and into Mara where there was bitterness. Now these things were our examples, Paul says, to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, neither be ye idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now by the way, let me tell you, Whenever we love someone or something more than we love the Lord, that's idolatry. Hear me. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. Verse 8, Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye. You see, here's what I'm talking about. Bitterness, complaining. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. 
Now that verse, that last verse is a, is a blessed verse. God will make a way of escape. And that's the third thing I want you to know. Some become, uh, get ready to get discouraged and ready to be ready to quit. Others become bitter. But then there's some, thank God, who choose to believe God for a better day ahead. Choose to. You see, you and I are not puppets. You and I are not programmed computers. We're individuals that God has given, to whom God has given the right to make a choice one way or the other. We choose to obey or we choose to disobey. We choose to love or we choose to react against God's love. We choose to serve Him or we choose to quit serving Him. And we can choose to believe God for a better day. David said, Lord, I'm trusting in Your mercy until these calamities be overpassed. David recognized that when calamities come, they're not going to live forever. They're not going to be there forever. Even though they may seem like they're going to be there forever, they won't be there forever. That's the hope that we have in God's Word. Now we choose to rebel or we choose to forget not all His benefits. When they came to Mara, Israel forgot everything else that God had done for them. Delivered them. Brought them through the Red Sea. The dancing time, the shouting time, the glory time. God didn't break His promise. He says in the Word, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world, and I'll make a way of escape. It doesn't seem like you'll ever get out from under it, but you'll get out from under it. The thing that we must recognize as believers is that when Christ called us to Himself, He called us to come to die. To die to ourselves and become alive unto God and His will and His purpose for our life. Listen to what the Scripture says. Jesus said in John 12, 24, Except a grain of wheat fall in the ground and die, it abideth alone. He says, I want you to be fruitful. I don't want you to be just living for yourself. I want you to die to yourself, become alive in me, so that I can produce fruit with my life out through you. He says, I didn't ask you to come and just you know, live your own life. He that keeps his life shall lose it, and whoso loses his life for my sake and the gospel shall find it. He said, you gave me your life now. Don't tell me what to do with it. You die out to your own desires and let me live my life and my will out through you, even if it includes bitterness. In Luke 14, 27, Jesus says, Whosoever doth not bear his cross daily and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now let me tell you something. That cross was not this sweet little thing we see hanging around people's necks today, little gold cross that looks so dainty and so sweet. He was talking about the willingness every day to die out to your own desires and say, Lord, it doesn't make a difference what I want. What do you want? He says, and if we're not willing to die daily, he called us to die. He says, you can't even be my disciple. Whoever does, anyone that's not willing to drink my blood and eat my flesh has no part in me. Boy, the multitude went, yuck, and turned around and left. And the disciples got a little bit shook. They said, hey, we're, we're going to really be a minority group around here. And Jesus said, by the way, if you want to go, you can go too. He said, I didn't call you to be successful. I called you to be faithful and committed to me. Paul the Apostle. You know, people talk about the glorious, wonderful ministry that Paul the Apostle had. But you know he, the only reason he had it? Because he said he had a funeral service every day for himself. He said, I die daily. I awaken and say, Lord... Not what I want to do. What do you want me to do? This day I give myself to you completely. Later Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I. But Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm walking by faith every day that God is going to use me as his instrument whatever way he sees fit to use me. You know, if we will take this attitude and realize that there will be better days ahead, we can say he doeth all things well, and I know that in the days ahead I'll look back and understand and that his way was absolutely perfect. Quickly, the fourth thing is you need to yield your disappointment to God and leave it there. Leave your disappointments with God. Take them to Him. Now, you know, a lot of people, just every, everybody they see, they begin to pour out all their heartache and all their agony and all their despair. And, all, and, and I've just seen it happen down through the years of my ministry where some people, they all, people almost don't like to come around them because every time they come around, they just pour out all the same stuff over and over. Oh, the hurt. Oh, the agony. Oh, the pain. But the Word of God says that we're to cast all our care on Him where He cares for us. Point number one is forget not all His benefits. Point number two is forgetting those things which are behind. When we face calamity, forget not all of His benefits of the past and then forgetting those things which are behind. Now, I, I want to tell you something. This is not an easy thing to do, but it's an important thing to do. If we believe God and trust God and know that He has a plan and a purpose for our life, we cannot fulfill God's purpose until we come to the place where we begin to forget those things which are behind. Don't soak in your calamity, especially if it's an irreversible calamity. If you've lost all the property you ever owned, don't sit and soak in that. I remember a time when I was making an incredible income when I wasn't in the ministry one time. And I found myself afterwards soaking in the fact that I'm not making that income anymore. And I had to ask God to forgive me. I even kept photostatic copies of those checks to look at to think, boy, wouldn't it be wonderful to do that again? And there came a day when I had to tear them up and say, that's past. That's gone. Maybe the loss of a loved one. It hurts. I can't tell you how it hurts. And no words from any human being can ever reach that hurt. But you can't soak in that hurt. It's irreversible. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And you can't go back and change it. But God has left those that are still here for a purpose. And rather than soaking in that calamity, we need to look back, even if our experiences have been wonderful, and they have, precious, and they have. Say, Lord, thank you for that chapter. Now I have a new chapter in my life. And what would that chapter be? I want you to write the new chapter. And I want to be obedient to you. Whatever you have for me, Lord, I don't want to. I know of a lady that was in one of the first churches I ministered in. Her husband passed away. And they, they dearly loved each other. And that woman, from the time he died, closed the curtains in her house. And when I'd go knock on the door, she'd let me in. She'd be sitting there with a towel on the couch with a picture of him in front of her and just crying and crying and crying. And this went on for about two years. And finally, I went there one day and I... I don't know, I guess his righteous indignation came up in me. I walked over to the table, and there was a bowl of fruit there, and I said, uh, Mary, where'd you get this fruit? What? 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 Who's Christ? Where'd you get this fruit? At the store. I mean, every time I'd come there, she'd be crying. And I said, why don't you look at this fruit? I picked up the apple. I says, how does that look? Fine. I said, how about this orange? Fine. I said, have you ever seen a half an apple or a half an orange or half a banana? No. 
I said, well, if God is careful enough to make sure that a whole banana and a whole apple and a whole orange is finished every time He makes one, and you're willing to believe that enough that you trust it, when you pick it up you know it's going to be a whole orange, a whole apple, or a whole banana, what makes you think that He is going to have any less concern for His purpose for your life than He does for a piece of fruit? She blinked her eyes and looked at me. I said, you're sitting here, you've been sitting here for the last year and a half to two years telling God that He made a mistake in leaving you and taking your husband. Now, either God's Word is true that He never fails, He never makes a mistake, and you're wrong or you're right and God's wrong. Now, which one is it? She had never been talked to like that before. Well, I guess, guess God's right. I said, well, then you need to get up and stop this. I said, you need to put this picture away. You need to begin to ask God why He left you here. You've got a ministry that God has for you, and I don't want you to stand before Him ten years from now, empty-handed, and say, Lord, I didn't do anything but cry over Joe for the last ten years. So I began to ask the Lord to show me something she could do, and she had beautiful handwriting. I mean, her handwriting was exquisite. We still got some poetry that she wrote at our home. So one day I said, Mary, I just noticed here in the newspaper all these young babies being born in the hospitals, the mother's names and what hospital they're in, you know? It would really be nice if you could just sit down and write each one of them a note and put a tract or two in an envelope and just tell them you love them, you're going to be praying for them. Well, I just couldn't do that. I said, yes, you can. Well, no, I just, I just feel so. I said, of course you feel badly because all you've been thinking on for the last two years is Joe, and Joe is gone. He's gone, never to be brought back again, even when you get to heaven. He's not going to be your husband. I said, God wants to make you fruitful here. You've got a new chapter now. How are you going to be fruitful here? Well, I'll just try it. Two weeks later, I came back to the house, and you could not believe it. All the curtains were open. All the windows were open. She was sitting there laughing. And right, I said, what's going on here? She said, Brother Joe, I have gotten back replies from some of these women. They said it was such a blessing to receive it. And she had stacks of letters. She says, my hands get cramps from writing to all these young girls. And her whole life took on a whole new meaning. She had sat and soaked in that calamity. Instead of seeing that God is going to let that calamity pass by if we'll only reach out and say, Lord, what's next? Secondly is don't promote remembrances of the calamity. I remember when I used to be in Minnesota. And now we have mosquitoes down here, but we don't have mosquitoes down here. I mean, the mosquitoes, they used to tell stories in Minnesota that that a mosquito would land at the air base and they'd have 300 gallons of fuel in it before they finally realized it wasn't a jet fighter. I mean, when those things would land on you, you'd feel them land. There were big mosquitoes up there in Minnesota. But one thing I learned when I was up there is if you get bitten by a mosquito, don't scratch it if you can possibly help it. I mean, you just, mm, uh, or you just want to dig. But if you start digging at that mosquito bite, it'll last a week. If you don't, Scratch it, it'll probably last about 24 hours and the itch will go away. Because when you scratch it, you irritate it. You make it worse and it goes deeper and deeper. You stir up that poison under the skin. I hope you get the picture that I'm trying to tell you. When the calamity comes, you face it straight on and say, God's grace is sufficient in this matter. God says He'll never leave me. He'll sustain me. I'm not going to forget His past benefits. But I'm going to forget those things that are past now. I'm going to begin life anew and believe that beyond this calamity, there is life. And I must choose to find it. Some of the greatest ministries today have happened 
as a result of a calamity that's taken place in someone's life. Then thirdly, I want you to know that every calamity has a lifespan. After Marah, the scripture says there in Exodus the 10th chapter or 15th chapter that they went on to Elam. And Elam, it says, uh, and they came to Elam where there were 12 wells of water, excuse me, and three score and 10 palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. You and I have to believe that there are going to be better days ahead. We have to believe that even though there's a mahra and a place of bitterness and there may be a time of calamity, that God has an Elam beyond that. Now, by the way, there were more bitter experiences that the children of Israel had. But there were times of relief. There were times when God sustained and encouraged them. Now, let me say quickly also, when we go through this calamity, don't deny the pain. You can't deny it. Some people, you know, try to keep a stiff upper lip and, no, it's not going to affect me. <laughs> if it doesn't affect you, you're not normal. You go into unreality. But you have to learn to cast all your care upon Him. Pour out your heart and your tears and your hurt and the pain and stand in faith and say, Lord, even though it hurts and even though I don't understand it, I lay it at your feet. And I lay at your feet, and I, Lord, I know that this calamity will pass over, and I just don't want to miss the best things that you have for me in the days ahead. Whether the last chapter was a bad one or a good one, the next one can be better because you've chosen by an act of your will that God's perfect will is going to be accomplished in your life. But you can't carry that pain inside. It's got to be released. There's got to be a time of crying. There's got to be a time of releasing. There's got to, but release it to the Lord. Let me assure you that no one can relieve the pain for you but the Lord. I don't know where it's located, but it's located in such a place that words can't reach it. It's wonderful to have your friends. It's wonderful to see and feel the love directed, but that love cannot reach down where the hurt is. I never understood that before. But He can. He can take that pain away. And you have to be able to pour out those things when you come to that Mara. Let me just quickly make the application here. Just like Israel, God, if we're saved, God's delivered us out of Egypt. We were baptized into Christ, even as the children of Israel were baptized into Moses. And this whole world is a desert experience. I don't care who it is on here on earth. Let me tell you something. This old world is a desert experience. It's like a vapor that appeareth for a moment and passes away. It's a bridge from eternity to eternity. But it's a wilderness. It's a desert experience. And the Lord said He will lead us all the way. We don't have to look for a pillar of fire or a cloud now. He's given us His Word and we have the witness of His Spirit in our heart. And if we'll believe the Word and stand on the Word of God every day, that's what He said there in, in, in Exodus 15 chapter. If you'll keep my commandments, if you'll do what I tell you to do, this and this and this and this I'll do for you. Same thing today. If we'll heed His Word, if we'll obey His Word, if we'll commit ourselves to Him, love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, we're going to go through Maras, but He'll also have Elam's. You see, there's two dangers. Try to avoid all the Maras so that there's no testing time, no experience of growing and putting and trusting in the Lord with all our heart. And then there's the other tendency to want to just camp at, at Elam and never leave there. You know, oh, we've got the wells, we've got the palm trees, we've got the shade, we've got the water, we've got everything. Let's just build three tabernacles and stay right here. Bless God. No, they had to go on. You see... Because there's nothing that is permanent in this life. And just like the children of Israel, were, God didn't, didn't want to bring them to Marah and didn't want to bring them just to Elam. He wanted to take them to the promised land. You know, only two entered into the promised land by faith. 
I want to tell you something. You and I are going to have our Maras, and you and I are going to have our Elams, and we don't dare try to avoid the Maras. We don't dare camp at Elam because we're going on to the promised land. And the Lord's leading us every step of the way. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Now, let me tell you something. You can talk about all the Maras you want to and all the Elams you want to, and neither one of them distracts me from my appetite for that day when we stand with him. It's not fun going through Maras, bitterness, experience, and calamity. It's wonderful when the Lord does refresh you with blessings, but none of them will compare with that which we're going to receive in that day when we stand before him, when he calls us to his home. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more heartache. I don't know about you, but that makes Elam sound like a ghetto to me. The Word of God says if we suffer with Him, we'll reign with Him. So in other words, if we aren't willing to suffer, we won't reign. Job's wife came out and said, you miserable thing. Why in the world don't you just curse God and die? I mean, look, I mean, he's taken a club to you. He's taken all your children away. He's taken away all your possessions. Here you're laying on this pile of ashes with boils from the top of the head to the bottom of your feet. Why don't you just let tell him what for and die? He said, oh, that really sounds spiritual. He's blessed me all these years, and I'm supposed to bless him then, and then when this happens, I'm supposed to curse him? No. If God wanted to kill me, I'd still, I would still bless him. I would still praise him. Yea, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. The Word of God says, remember the patience of Job. Maras, bitterness, maras, bitterness. But it overpassed. It passed over. And God raised up Job again. You know, many times I read it and I look at it, I don't understand it. I think to myself, dear God, I don't understand this. I don't care how much you'd give him afterwards. Still, the loss, the loss, the loss. God says you're looking at it in the natural, not in the perspective of, of eternity. Two things when we face calamity. Again, let me just share them with you. When they come, don't forget all of his past benefits to you. Encourage yourself in the Lord because you will never fail. Secondly, forget those things which are past. Forget that calamity now. And expect God to give you a whole new life, a whole new outlook on life. You see, I can't let go back there. You have to. It's over. This has been one of the most difficult things for me as your pastor to get down into my spirit. And God's had to show me this. I am rejoicing in the faithfulness of my God. I'm not going to forget His past benefits to me because I've gone through Amara. I'm going to thank Him for all of His faithfulness. And then I'm going to forget those things which are past and I'm going to look unto Jesus, the author and finish of my faith. There is no other way to face calamity and be pleasing to God. You say, Brother Webb, that's difficult. Jesus never promised life would be easy. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And if we're going to have victory, it's got to be in Christ. I don't care what the calamity is, financial, material, physical, whatever it might be. There isn't a calamity in our lives, but what if we'll believe God there's an Elam coming? There's a better day coming. Now, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I refuse to quit. I refuse to get bitter. 
I refuse to close myself in. So when calamities come, don't look at the calamity. Forget not His benefits. Forget those things that are behind and say, now, this is a new day. The mercies of God are from everlasting to everlasting. And His mercies are new every morning. I'm going to begin to believe God for His new mercies for this coming day because He never fails. God can give us victory in our calamities, through our calamities. You see, like I said, every calamity has a lifespan. It can only last so long. You don't stay at Mara. You can. A lot of people love to build free tabernacles and stay right there and just sit and soak in it. But you can't please God and stay at Mara. You've got to go on. Because it's the promised land we're looking for. You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you and called you. We have to know the race that's set before us and run that race with patience. You'll never win a race looking back. You will never win a race looking back. And many Christians are trying to run the race of this life looking back at disappointments, calamities, hurts, losses. No. Look on the goal. Set your eyes on Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, till this calamity be overpassed. And God will restore. God will restore. How? I don't know. I'll tell you when He does. But it's not important. The important thing is He's promised He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Whatever the calamity is, He's faithful. He's faithful. Father, I thank You that You are faithful. I thank You that You promised me eternal life. I thank You that You promised You'd never leave me nor forsake me. I thank You, Father, for the blessings of the past chapter. And I believe You've got a better chapter ahead. I can't imagine how, but I believe it. I believe that you've got a better purpose ahead. As difficult as it may seem to be able to perceive in my mind, it doesn't make any difference. Your plan and your purpose, your will for my life is the most important thing, and I want it to be in every one of our lives. I ask this morning, whatever that calamity has been in any life that's here this morning, that right now they'll refuse to quit, refuse to become bitter, refuse to just sit and soak in it and hold it in, they'll begin to believe that they can forget not all your benefits and forget that past chapter now and go on believing you have a better thing for us ahead. We know, Lord, that when we step out of this life and hear you say, well done, it'll be worth it all. In Jesus' precious name, we just ask that you administer this truth to our hearts this morning. Whatever the calamities of the past have been in any life here this morning, that right now, Lord, by an act of their will, they'll close the door on that calamity and say, Lord, I'm going on. I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to build monuments to it. I'm going to go on and believe that you've got an Elam for me where I can camp by the waters and be refreshed by the shade. Father, I love you today and I thank you that you love me and you've got a purpose and a plan and I thank you that you know where the hurt is and you know how to minister to the hurt. But Lord, we give it all back to you and thank you for the experience of learning how to trust you even in the midst of calamity and to remember your benefits and to forget the past and press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In his precious name we ask it and for his sake. Amen.